Good morning. I'm a firm believer that on this earth that God has made, there are two types of people. Only two. There can't be more than two because I really think there are only two. There's some of us Two types of people. Some of us love In and Out. I get it. In and Out's great. Most of us in here are from California. I understand. In and Out's fantastic. But on the other side, there's only one other kind of person. And these are people who love Chick fil A. You've got In-N-Out, you've got Chick-fil-A. Why they're enemies, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I can't explain what happened. But I can say that as I talk to people, I meet only two kinds, In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A. Now, as for me and my family, we... Love Chick-fil-A. That's like kind of our thing. We love it. Now, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to brag. But I have red status on the Chick-fil-A app, and I'm sure none of you do. And so in some way, it makes me a better person, just a little bit. Uh, really, it means we eat a lot of Chick-fil-A in the Fenn family. In fact, there's one time where my wife was out of town, and so I'm holding down the fort, me and all four of my minions. And it was lunchtime, and I knew it was lunchtime because at about 9 a.m., the kids said, we're hungry, when is lunch? And I said, in, in a few hours, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get some lunch. What's for lunch? And my kids, uh, my kids, my oldest, he'll be 13 in a couple of months. Um, my daughter's 11, and then I've got a nine and seven-year-old. And here's the thing that my kids are really good at, getting their way. Uh, they're really good at getting their way especially when they drop the magic words of, hey, dad, what do you think about since mom's out of town and it's just us, and we love to make memories with you, dad. Like, we love quality time with you, dad. It's our favorite thing. What do you think about us going to Chick-fil-A for lunch? Now, as a dad who at that time, that weekend was acting as a single parent, I thought, this is perfect. I can show up. The people are gonna be friendly and kind. I can feed the kids. They can play in the playhouse, we can go home, and hopefully they'll all take naps, right? Perfect afternoon. But in order for us to get to Chick-fil-A, something had to happen. And this something is the same thing that happens every single time we get in the car to go anywhere. And I call it, put your shoes on and get in the car time, right? Do you guys have this, put your shoes on and get in the car time? My kids were younger, and so when you're like kind of managing, hurting for kids, like you really want them all to put their shoes on and just get in the car so we can go. Well, three of the kids nailed put your shoes on and get in the car time. Like they crushed it. Record time could be in the Olympics for how fast they put their shoes on and got their bottoms in the car. One of them, my son, Max, he didn't do so great. And so I'm in the car, the car's running, like I've got the, I've got the playlist going in my head, I'm just thinking of the spicy chicken sandwich with some fries and a diet lemonade, like just the best meal ever. In fact, it is what the Israelites ate in the desert as they wandered out of Egypt. It was a spicy chicken sandwich with waffle fries and a, and a diet lemonade. 
And so I'm in the car, and I'm daydreaming about what this lunch is going to be like and how the kids will be occupied and fed, and, and this is all going to be good when I notice that I'm missing someone. And I look, and Maxie is not in his car seat. And I'm just thinking, what is going on? And I put my head out the window in the car parked in the garage where the big shoe pile is, and I look, and he's just getting his shoe on. And I'm like, this is perfect. Come on, little buddy, hop in the car. And he walks up to the car, and he stands at the door, and he looks at it, and he goes, I can't do this. Like, you can't do, you can't do what? I can't open the door. Uh, Son, we've opened the door to the car hundreds, if not billions of times. You can absolutely open the door to the car. In fact, when you open the door, you're going to get in, put your seatbelt on, and we're going to go to Chick-fil-A. And he's like, I know, Dad, but there's a problem. And I'm like, well, what's the problem? And he goes, and he holds it up, and he's got two of his favorite toys, one in each hand. And I go, but if, you, if you're going to get in the car, you've got to put the toys down and then open the door. And he's like, I can't. I'm like, okay. Now, here's the deal. If you're a parent, you know this moment. And it's, it's the moment where you go, I'll die on this hill. Like, my feet are planted firmly in the rock right now. I ain't budging. What he wanted was for me to open the door so he wouldn't have to inconvenience himself and put his toys down to get in the car. But as a parent, I'm going, no, teachable moment ain't happening. The other three kids are now yelling at him, Max, just put the toys down, get in the car. They know that I can drive a hard bargain. I'm not going to budge on this one. And I go, all you got to do is put the toys down and open the door. And then at that point, he like jaws of life's his arm and tries to like pinch the door handle and open it without, like he, he wanted it his way, but he wanted it my way. And he goes, Dad, just open the door. And I go, I'm not going to open the door. And he goes, please. And I go, no. And he goes, can you? And I go, get in the car. And he goes, <sighs> You see, Max wanted to go to the holy land of Chick-fil-A. But Max also didn't want to give anything up in order to do so. He had something in the way. Now, I'll tell you the end of the story because it's a really, really happy ending. Eventually, I convinced him to put the toys in his pockets. He gets in the car, and we go to Chick-fil-A. And the day went better than I could have prayed for. But here's the reason. Here's the reason I share this, this silly story. I share this silly story because last night we looked at an incredibly important attribute of God's character. Can you tell me what the word was that we looked at? Just yell it. I know you guys are good at that. Uh, you just yell it at me. Uh, holiness. We looked at God's holiness. And, and, and for God to be holy, what that means is he set apart that there's no one like him. Now, here's the deal for us. This is incredibly good news. This God who speaks to Moses through a bush that is on fire, that, that, that doesn't burn out, that's self-sustaining, speaks to one of the deepest parts of God's character, and that is his holiness, his set-apartness. And here's what you have to know about this God that we see printed on every single page of scripture is a God who desperately wants to be in relationship with his people. Now, who are God's people? That's us. That's you and I. That's human beings. In fact, from the, the beginning of human history, when, when humanity fell in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, we see God promise that he will find a way for us to be restored with him. And just like my son wanting to go to Chick-fil-A, but not being able to open the door because something was in the way, you and I have to understand at this part of the journey in our week here at Hume, 
You've got to know that if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, you too have something in the way of you having a relationship with God. And now this is precisely what I want to unpack for us this morning, because in order for us to move forward with looking at what it means for us to be in a relationship with Jesus, following after God with all of our lives, which I'm sure many of us in this room have made that decision, let's let this morning serve as a reminder of what we've been saved from so that we can worship God for what we've been saved to. And for those of you who have not yet made that decision to put your faith in Jesus, I have to tell you some really hard news so that we can get to some big and beautiful news later this evening. Exodus chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 tell us this. We just saw this depicted on screens. It says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now pause. In the Old Testament, as you're reading through the Bible, you're going to see the word Lord printed in all capital letters. Now that's going to set the Lord apart from anyone else who would think understand, or claim to be a god. In this case, we have Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh, you need to understand, Pharaoh has all of the power in the world at this time. In fact, some of Pharaoh and and the previous Pharaohs before him, some of their greatest achievements and accomplishments are still standing today in Egypt. This is someone who had immense power, And someone who not only yielded that power to grow one of the most amazing civilizations that human history has ever seen, he did so on the backs of slaves, those slaves being the Israelites. Now, when you're in a position of power like that, people don't tell you what to do, you tell people what to do. And so you have to understand, as we look at Pharaoh this morning, Pharaoh would wake up and he would look in the mirror and what he would see gazing back at him was someone who he believed to be God. Pharaoh thought he was God. And if you think you're a God, why on earth would you take orders from someone else claiming to represent a God? Can't see him, don't know him, can't hear him. So when Moses comes to Pharaoh and confronts him saying, listen, the Lord God has said, let my people go, Pharaoh's going to go, I'm the Lord God, and I say, I'm keeping them. Ain't happening. This is what we see playing out here in Exodus. It says that Pharaoh said in chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? We see here Pharaoh showing the cards of his heart, revealing who he believes himself to be in light of who Moses is trying to tell him the God of the universe is. You need to know this about Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he was God and therefore did not give any listening whatsoever to what Moses had to say. We see in Exodus that that the reason ultimately that Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go is because he had what, what the scriptures tell us is a hardness of heart, meaning his heart was closed off to the things of God. The the word for this is a three-letter word, and it's a church word that I'm sure you've heard most of your lives, if not at school, and it's the word sin. 
Pharaoh was in sin because he himself thought he was God and therefore had no need to listen to the actual God. And now this might sound crazy and grandiose and you possibly are thinking to yourself like, who, who does that? But here's the hard truth that I wanted to share with us this morning is that every single person in this room, apart from a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, lives in the same way Pharaoh did. You live in such a way where you are in charge of your own life and you pay no mindful attention to the things of God. Now, now you might know God, and, and here's, here's a little danger that I want to maybe illuminate for you. All of you who are part of Christian schools, there is real danger in being taught God as a subject. Now, theology is wonderful. I've studied theology for most of my adult life, but I do so so that I can experience deeper intimacy with God, not so that I can know more about him. I want to know more about his character and persona so that I can love him more, not so that I can hit people with facts about the Bible and knowledge. And your studies of God, both at school and at home in your devotional time here at camp, be mindful to do so in such a way that brings you to deeper relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and doesn't just allow you to spout off facts about someone that you don't know. It, it would be like this. If my wife was here and you're like, hey, tell me about your wife. And I'm like, she's five foot two. Okay, tell me about your wife. She has blonde hair. Okay, tell me about your wife. She has three kids of her own, and then she adopted one. Okay, tell me about your wife. She's okay at cooking. She's got like three dishes that she nails, and the rest are... This is recorded. I won't finish the sentence. Okay. Like, there's a difference between telling you about my wife and telling you she has the biggest heart for people of anyone I've ever met. She's beautiful, she's lovely, she's intelligent, she gives the best advice, she has a love for God unlike anyone else that I know, she's the best mom. Like there's a difference, I'm telling you about her and I'm revealing to you things that I know about her because we have a relationship. This is what we see on display here in Exodus. The actual God of the universe is sending a messenger to Pharaoh to say, hey, I am God and you're not, and it would, it would do you well to let my people go. And Pharaoh responds going, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm the God around here. Last time I checked, I built pyramids and a giant sphinx and mummies or whatever, right? And Moses is going, I don't know if this is going to end well. I don't know if this is going to end well. What this reveals to us is that we see Pharaoh in sin. Now, sin could be defined this way. I had learned this definition many years ago. Sin could be defined this way. Any thought, deed, word, attitude, or action that goes against God's good and holy character. That's a very thorough answer to what sin is. We could also say that, that sin is this. Anytime I act unholy, anytime I act unlike God, I am in sin. And, the, and this sin problem is something that we see transcending across all of human nature and all of human character. Now, a few years ago, it may have been a difficult sell to tell you that every human on earth is a sinner. But these days, in 2021, have you watched the news? Have you, have you seen your dad blow a head gasket at dinner after seeing a Facebook thing pop up? Like, have you, have you been at Thanksgiving and your parents are like, don't bring that up around your grandparents. It's going to be a heated topic. Like, we see the results of sin all around our culture today because sin has an effect. 
like we saw put on display through this film, that, 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 that the sin of Pharaoh had consequences in the plagues coming and plaguing the Egyptians. Sin has consequences. If, if you look over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, it tells us this about sin. Ephesians is in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, Paul, as an apostle in the New Testament, has this incredible encounter with God in the book of Acts. And what he does is he moves his life from being someone who, who, was, who was trying to take down the church to someone who's trying to build up the church. And in doing so, each of his letters teach people this truth about sin because like my boy trying to go to Chick-fil-A but not being able to open the door because his toys were in his hand, sin gets in the way of us having a relationship with God. And not only does sin get in the way of us having a relationship with God, but sin brings consequences upon us. If you paid attention as we read this verse, can you see the consequence that sin brings upon us? He says, as for you, you were dead dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. What this means for us is that we can understand this to be true about sin, that sin brings death. Paul would write to the church in Rome in, in Romans chapter 3 verse 23. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory or the holiness of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory or the holiness of God. I find myself in an interesting time of life where my parents are getting older and sick. My mom has been battling cancer for 12 years. And what's so interesting about the type of cancer that my mom has is that it's a type of cancer that every other person on earth who's ever gotten this cancer died 18 months later. Yet here she lives 12 years later. It's so profound that her doctor is writing a book about her because he just doesn't understand how she's made it this long with this aggressive form of cancer. But here's what I want to tell you. When my mom went to the doctor and found out she was sick with cancer, something had to be done about it. Like that's a diagnosis that is going to ravage her body, and it has. In fact, had they not treated it, she would have been gone long ago. But because of the way doctors treated the diagnosis, I still get to have Thanksgiving with my mom and Christmas with my mom and birthdays. And my little ones get to interact with her. And we get to spend time with her and be with her. Cancer has brought consequences on her body. And so modern science and medicine has remedied that consequence. In the same way that's true of my mom, it's true of us. Sin has brought death upon us. And God has been working from the beginning of time to remedy that death, that separation with relationship. That, that's why he says for the wages of sin is death. You've got to understand this about death. Death means separation. And the implications of death happen two ways. One, a physical death. This world is not the way that it is supposed to be. 
And like I hinted at earlier, that's not that hard to understand these days. Maybe a few years ago it was like, yeah, it's not, but now you're like, oh my gosh, the world is crazy, what is happening? What's happening is this world is fallen. This world is separated from God. And as a result of not being in the position and place that it ought to be, the place where God designed it to be, we see death and decay taking over our world every single day. Separation. Now, death also has implications for us personally. Spiritual death. That is someone who has not yet been made alive together with Christ, like the scripture says. That's someone who can't experience the things of God. They don't know what it means to have a relationship with God. And the Bible teaches further that God pours out his wrath upon sinful people. Now, here's the good news that we'll talk about tonight. The fullness of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. So as you watch these videos and hear about things like plagues, you don't need to worry about waking up with boils because God hates you. God's wrath was satisfied with Jesus on the cross. But that death, that separation, that lack of relationship is something that we have to be very mindful of. And we have to understand that that diagnosis is something that we have to take serious. If you have not yet asked God to forgive you of your sins, you're living in a separated state from him, fully missing out on a way of life that's something God designed for us to experience and participate in at the inception of human beings. What does this mean for us? What this means for us is this. It means that we have to wrestle with the fact that we cause sin. That I, apart from God, and what scriptures would say, a sinful person. And God being just, and God being holy has to punish sin. This is why the psalmist writes that, that you are too good. He says, you who are too good, you can't even look upon sin. He says, you can't look at it. Now that's a problem for God because God deeply wants to look at us. God deeply wants to know us. God deeply wants to have relationship with us. But sin is that thing that has gotten in the way of our ability to experience, as I said a minute ago, life the way that it's made to be lived. The consequences of sin are obvious and plain for us to see. In fact, one, one, one year I was working up here at Hume. I worked at a camp called Wildwood up over the hill. And while I was working there, Wildwood was a mostly outdoor camp. Kids sleep in tents. Like the only kind of structure was a, a big kitchen tent. And in that kitchen tent was a vault where we could put food. The reason we would put food behind these big doors is because bears love to steal food. And bears have claws and teeth and they can eat you. And so at the beginning of camp, I do this talk for every student the same way I would every week where I say, hey, if you've brought food, it's your food. We have a place where you can put that food that will make sure bears don't get you. Everyone good? Cool. Well, the next morning I wake up and I hear a story that was so riveting, I thought, that's perfect for a sermon. See, what happened was some kids brought food and they brought food that should have been refrigerated. And they brought food that certainly should have been put where all the food goes when you're sleeping in the middle of the woods, but they didn't. And so in the middle of the night, these kids hear one of their tent mates throwing up outside the tent. He had eaten food that had spoiled because it wasn't refrigerated. You're probably wondering why I'm smiling. Just trust me, it gets really good. So this kid's throwing up outside of his tent and all his cabin mates are like, oh gosh, that's disgusting. I don't feel well either. And so then... Next guy goes and throws up. Next guy goes and the only person that didn't get sick was the counselor because he didn't eat rotten food because he did what he was supposed to do. 
And so all these kids are puking. Counselor helps clean them up, brush their teeth. Let's get back in bed. They fall back asleep. They snuggle down into their sleeping bags. And at about 2 a.m., they hear a noise. The noise that they heard was a giant black bear eating their throw-up right outside their tent. I promise, this is like the grossest story I'll tell all week. So if you're like, this is sick, I'm all done, okay? Here's the point. They're terrified. They're crying in their tent. But they don't want to cry too loud because if they cry loud, guess who also smells like throw up inside the tent? Every single kid. And so they're sitting there like... (laughs) The next morning comes, I see this cabin walking to breakfast looking like they had just seen a ghost. And I go up to their counselor and I go, dude, what happened? He goes, they didn't listen. They ate the food, it was spoiled, it made them throw up, and they're just being terrorized by this bear all night long that was eating their throw up. And I thought to myself, sometimes the consequence finds its way. Like, I didn't have to do anything. There was no lesson that needed to be taught. They learned it right there, because bears are awesome and they should have put their food away. Right, have you ever been in a scenario where the consequence just comes naturally? Like maybe you try to hit a jump on your bike that you have no business doing and boom, That happened once. My kids had this ramp, and all the neighborhood kids are over there, like, riding. And this one kid who I'd never seen before starts at the top of the hill, pedals as fast as he can, hits this ramp, having never gone off a jump before on his bike, and boom, lands flat on the asphalt, and his arm's, like, hanging there like a chicken wing. And I was like, oh, have you ever done this before? He's like, no, I just learned how to ride a bike. I was like, oh, man. The reason I share those stories with you is to illustrate the fact that that in the same way when we make poor choices, consequences ensue, uh, sin also has consequences. Sin also has consequences. Because God is just, because God is holy, because God is merciful, sin has to be punished. And the truest, most blatant form of that punishment that you or I can experience, apart from a relationship with God, is separation. Now, there are endless other ways that sin bites us, and sin causes us death. But the point of of this morning's talk is for you to know that God, because he's holy, he's also just. That, That because God is holy and perfect, he is also pouring out his wrath here in the book of Exodus, as we read the story of the Israelites and the Egyptians, God is pouring out his wrath on Pharaoh and his hardness of heart for a singular purpose, to try and get Pharaoh to turn and worship. All of these consequences that we're talking about, this whole idea of sin is an idea that is a problem, a diagnosis that you can't fix yourself, that if left untreated, will only bring upon you more death and more separation. But Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us this about God. He says, for the wages of sin is death. All right, Corey, we unpacked that. Yes, we did. But the verse continues, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings death, but God desires to bring life into your life. God desires to restore and redeem your souls if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. And so today, as you head out of this place and you get to kick off your time learning about God's creation, I want you to be mindful of who God is in your life. I want you to be mindful of this question. Have you ever put your faith in him? Where do you see sin affecting your life? Are there moments where you act in ways that you're like, why am I doing this? 
What is going on? For each of us, there's an opportunity that God has. God has provided a way for all of us to experience new life in him. But first, we have to understand and be honest with ourselves that we're separated. And because God is just, and because God pours out his wrath upon sin, it's important for us to be honest with our place in that. While also not losing hope of the fact that God desires deeply to have a relationship with every single person here in this room. Let me pray. God, today we, we want to be mindful of your holiness in light of our imperfections. May we not be like Pharaoh who says, who is God? I'm a God. I'm the one in charge. Nobody can tell me what to do. And although we may never say those words, the actions and the way in which we choose to live life certainly can send that message. And so, Father, I pray for each of us as we walk out of this place and jump into some cool instruction, learning about all the awesome things that you spoke into existence, would you help us to be honest and real and mindful with ourselves of our own sin? Help us to see your words in Scripture, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us to know that we don't have to live sinful and separated. But God, through this invitation through the sacrificial love and mercy that you've shown us through Jesus, we can be made alive together with you. Can't wait to talk more about that story tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.